jasmine, oolong, green, and white. Long ago, these four teas were skillfully brewed at the Blissful Brew. Then, everything changed when the shop's popularity threatened its existence. All Mr. Okoron, the shop's owner and tea master, could do was to recruit four teenage orphans to learn his trade and staff his shop. A year has passed since the orphans were hired, and although their skills have progressed, they still have a lot to learn before they can brew anything. But I believe that they have the potential to make the Blissful Brew the greatest tea shop in the world. The scene opens on all of you standing inside of a large room, uh, various pews lining, uh, large windows have sunlight shooting in through it, but it's kind of an, a deep orange sunlight as it's kind of nearing towards the afternoon, the, the late hour. afternoon. Yes, the golden hour, exactly. Your, your now dead friend, Mr. Okoron, lays motionless inside of a stone casket and uh, the rest of you, as well as a number of community members are all lining these, these benches that I previously mentioned. And a man at the, the front of the room is finishing up his long-winded speech about Mr. Okoron and his service to the community and the amazing tea shop that he ran and just how generally nice of a guy that he he was how kind-hearted he was the doors of the the area suddenly swing open the big like double heavy double doors or whatever and you all turn because it's quite loud and there's madame yang standing there in the doorway and she says oh, is the ceremony not over yet <laughs> and turns to like let the door close behind her I feel like Brock is feeling a bit remorseful and that he felt he could have, you know, helped Mr. Okeron as well uh, during the fight, but he was just too tunnel visioned on, you know, the coyote boars. Uh, what about Guohan? What's uh, what's Guohan feeling right now? I guess he's feeling sort of regression, like he's closed off, feeling a bit lost. Okay. Um, what is uh, what is Bill Dor feeling right now? Like he's a failure. He swore to himself he wouldn't let something like this happen again. And now he's going very much on a slippery slope. Uh, what about Mika? I would say that she is definitely feeling different emotions on the inside than she does on the outside. She was probably closer to Mr. Oberon than she let people believe. But I would say on the outside she's more stoic. And then on the inside, I would say she's pretty much just like in denial of the whole situation. And a man approaches you and he begins to tell you uh, or talk to you all. And he says, uh, my name is Mr. Wu and uh, I represent a government office that's responsible for items to be passed on to others when someone passes away. You four were the closest to Mr. Okoron, uh, given that he owned a tea shop and had a number of tools and utensils and etc. as well as, of course, the building space itself. Uh, it seems that it's a little bit up in the air as far as um, who it's supposed to go to. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't find a will, legally speaking. I, I can't technically hand off anything to you that was his. Well, what's going to happen to the tea shop then? The lady over there, and he points over to Madame Yang, and he says, uh, she was inquiring about it as well. It seems that she has some interest in possibly purchasing the 
uh, the building itself, the tea shop and the various resources within. So again, I just wanted to let you all know, um, you know, if a document isn't presented by the end of the week. One week's time, eh? I suppose I'll be seeing you all then. <laughs> she turns and starts to head towards the door as well. Yeah, we can't have Mad Yang take over. You hear a voice from the darkness, the darkest corner of this small temple area go, Psst, hey, over here. Sure enough, there's a, a man in a dark cloak mysteriously sitting in this dark corner, almost invisible. He uh, he takes off his hood. He's uh, It's got long, dark brown hair, uh, very masculine features. He says, my name's Otra. But most people just call me Strider. I uh, was actually a good friend of Ogaron's. He uh, wanted me to give you this. He gives you a, a, a letter. It's like a sealed envelope with like a wax seal on the back. It's just a letter to all of you, um, but it basically just talks about, you know, how much he cared about all of you. He felt that there was something that might happen that might cause him harm or possibly death. And he wanted to make sure he was scared to keep the will in the house or in the, the tea shop. And so he's hidden it and he wants you all to find it. Who's Bill? This one, this specific one is for you. Strider leaves. Oh, I can read it while we walk, I guess, back to the shop. <clears throat> it says, Bill, my boy, you're tried and true. I now bestow a gift to you. When on the seas a ship we met and a pirate ship we were beset. You and I were taken captive on an island where we adapted. Although in danger we resided and quietly our time abided. Until the moment of opportunity you and I escaped in unity. Return yourself to island shores and the next clue will soon be yours. Return to the past, look through the back, use the flame in your heart to reveal the map. And once you arrive, don't forget about the tea. Bill, you remember where you were on the boat with me. You created a combo so strange in my mind it did imprint. So look to your creation of mango and mango and that's where it stopped. So you head back to the tea shop. You guys should know the full story to be able to help me with this because I'm completely lost, honestly. Well, we were captured by pirates, um, Mr. Okron and I were, when we first met. It was a weird trade deal is what happened to us. It was some Fire Nation general that organized the whole trade deal as well. We got put on a pirate ship and then we, we helped the pirate crew for a day. Mr. Okron made them a bunch of tea and I swabbed the deck and also knocked out a guy with a bow staff. So always been good at that, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then we escaped on a dinghy with a bunch of his tea. And we landed on the shores not too far from here in that dinghy. I don't know, just reading this, it says return yourself to island shores and the next clue will still be yours. So I, part of me thinks that if we went back to the exact same spot where we, you know, washed up, I that's might be where we go. I'm going to hand it to Gohan. Okay. The, the the riddle. And as you go to hand Gohan the, the piece of paper, you can kind of feel a little bit of the heat from the candle in the middle of the table that's giving you guys light. And as the map passes by and that heat kind of emanates towards it, um, you notice some like sort of scribbles on the back of the, the paper. You bring it a little bit closer to the candlelight. And you realize that on the back of this page is a map leading to an island. An island known as Whale Tail Island. 
so that's where this map seems to be leading you. Should we head down to that shore to see if we can find anything? Do we have enough time? Looks like we're going on a trip, guys. I gotta go pack a bag for Dilbert. You wake up the next morning. To some extent, this has reignited some of the fire that might have been lost by this uh, the depressing circumstances. You head out, and one place that you know of in town that offers, you know, sort of travel assistance. It's like a travel agency. And you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm not necessarily going on a paid vacation per se, but... I'll go check it out and see if they can give me information, maybe. You arrive, and there's the lady at the front desk. There's somebody talking to her. And rather than her greeting you, this person just turns around. It's an old man. He's crooked, almost at a 90-degree angle of his back. Uh, Turns around and sees you all, and he says, Ah, well, where are you three going? Where are you headed? Are you going on vacation? Oh... Well, 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 Tail Island. Mm. We don't really offer much of a, a water travel here at our agency, but uh, we could get you across the mountains to the shores. Uh, it's right over by Chin Village. That's where you want to go. How long does a trip like that take us? Oh, if you go my way, usually it only takes about a day. Yeah, we only have six. And can you start taking us there now? Yeah, of course I can. I'm ready to go. The name's Rooney. All right, on our way! And he starts to lead you guys through, and it's a it's a pretty straightforward shot to the mountains themselves. It's pretty uneventful until about, like, four or five hours through. You guys uh, start to notice that there's, like, a pathway that's started to become carved out into the mountains. Why aren't we walking on this path? Why are you taking us over here? Oh, yes, that, uh, that's in, it's under construction right now. See, just up ahead, and he points and you can see, like, some, some dust that seems to be rising, like a dust cloud. They're working on a way through the mountain. But it's not done yet. You do eventually come up to where the cloud is is kind of rising from, and sure enough, you know, there's a bunch of what look like earthbenders that seem to be, like, you know, stomping the ground and moving rocks and stuff out of the way as they're making this pathway through. As you guys <laughs> are leaving the scene of the construction work in your wake, you suddenly hear a huge explosive sound. And you can feel uh, the rocks and such around you rumbling and shouts and screams coming from over in the construction area. My fox dog starts running towards it. All right, I'll run after it if no one else will. No, I mean, I'm running after it too. As you guys make your way up towards the construction site, you see before you a giant collection of rocks that seems to all be combined to itself as if a humanoid shape with two arms and two legs, no real head per se. Um, but on the top of where the head would be is a small red gem that glints inside the sunlight. And as uh, Rooney approaches, and you guys are all seeing this, you know, happening below you in the ravine where they were digging out, he says, Oh my gosh, it's a mountain spirit! As it starts to just smash, smash, smash through this construction zone, obviously angry for some reason. I'll hop down and try and try and help the construction workers. All right, sounds good. Brock's not an observed type of guy. You're in the scene. You're standing there, you know, some of the uh, dust cloud has kind of like overtaken you. You cough a little bit as you wave a little bit out of your face. So I guess as I get down there, I'll try and help as many of the people that the 
Earth Spirit is not attacking. Yep. He's just watching. Bill's so, just watching. Same here. All right. Um, Guohan's going to just move to safe cover, make sure there's nothing above him that's going to ruiny him. So back over to Connor. Connor, you've pulled some people out of the way, um, gotten them kind of a safe distance away. There's still maybe like three workers that are like battling this thing actively. I guess I'd have to just go and help help the three workers as well. All right. I mean, I can't just leave them hanging. All right, so I will ask, what is my best way in, as in like into this fight's where? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of tell there's like a direction to its movements. So that suggests that it has a front, and that's where it's attacking at. Um, and it has a back, and it doesn't seem to be aware, even though it doesn't have like a head and eyes, it doesn't seem to be aware of what's behind it. So if you were able to get behind it, you'd probably be in a better position. Yeah, I guess what can I use to inflict the most damage? Something about that gem that's sitting kind of almost on top of where its head would be seems significant to you. It's the fact that it's so contrasted and so different from the rest of its just rock body. It really feels like that holds some sort of significance over this creature or spirit or whatever it seems to be. So what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and climb up some like piles of rocks behind it. Okay. I'm going to try and jump on top of it and uh, I will try and strike the gem and I will try and lot dislodge it. So you use that to get yourself on top of this rock monster. Um, it definitely takes notice that you're there. Like it can feel you on it. And so it kind of like is confused. It's moving around. But you've managed to land on it in such a way that you get a nice stable position. It's a big creature. So it's definitely enough of a platform for you to like steady yourself on. I will get on top of this thing. Okay. And it's it's squirming around trying yep. to shake me off. And I'm just starting to wail away at the gem on top of his head. Okay. Or on top of its body it's freaking out it's nervous and it's becoming less and less you could almost say connected you're actually watching as you're slowly pulling this gym out you can see some of the chunks of rock actually falling from its body <laughs> yeah the rest of you three are seeing him like riding cowboy on top of this rock monster um, i want to assess the situation i think brock's gonna die <laughs> <laughs> you know, what here can i use to help brock I'm going to say in. So what's my best way down the side of this mountain? Um, you do see a fairly, like, thin but flat rock that you almost wonder if you could, like, sled down the side of this hill safely and quickly. Um, additionally, there are a number of, like, sort of outcroppings of rock that if you wanted to, you might break into chunks and using your earthbending maybe kick or throw towards the monster to give it a distraction while he tries to rip this this gem out of its head. I will attempt to destroy this gem. You raise your hand above your head, you come down hard as um, earthbenders do, they don't fear the rock as it's coming towards them per se, so you feel very confident as you come down. You break the rock as your fist makes contact with it. The gem itself breaks free uh, from the creature's head it flies up as it does. The creature starts to kind of like wobble and so on. I'm going to look at those rock colonnades or whatever mm -hmm. on the side of the hill. I'm going to attempt to take out the the small piece of stone that's holding the pillar up. Or get like a small rock, like get some momentum um, to roll into that and to cause some sort of avalanche. 
You rush over to one of these outcroppings that sort of angled at just the right spot on the, the top of this uh, hill that you're sort of on, and you break out a chunk of it, allowing the rock to tumble forward and start rolling down the hill, as you mentioned. Um, Brock, you have just ripped the gemstone out of its head, and as it wobbles and starts to destabilize, you leap off this beast, you've got the giant gem in your hand, and uh, the beast is down as it hits the ground. All the rocks that make up this spirit, as they said, um, just sort of start to roll away. Oh, I think I might have seen or heard stories about something like this. This is just a theory, mind you, but I think what you've got there is known as the heart of the mountain. Some say that the heart of the mountain homes a guardian spirit, and each mountain has one. Well, if if we're all cursed about this, I'll I'll take the blame for that. I will say a big ol' oops on that. So you guys all get a good night's rest. Um, um, you wake up the next morning, and so you guys continue on through the mountain range, and slowly but surely, off in the distance, you can see the outskirts of Chin Village. I'm going to just head out, so uh, good luck to you guys. Bye. Bye, Rooney. And he turns 180 degrees to walk his 90-degree self back through the mountains. <laughs> what if we start by checking where me and Mr. Okaron like first showed up here on the boat? And if we can't find anything there, then we can go talk to pirates, uh, sorry, rather, the uh, traders around here, the ship captains, and get us a boat. Um, you guys make your way to the beaches of Chin Village. Uh, I mean, you look at the map again, and it's not showing any kind of X or anything on the beaches of Chin Village. It does cross through Chin Village, like the dotted line, but the X is at Whaletail Island. And eventually you approach uh, what seems to be a massive festival going on. And people are celebrating, and there's little, like, shop vendors that are selling. They're selling all sorts of, like, uh, they look like sea serpent masks. Um kind of like different colors and such like that. There's people selling food. There's people selling what look like fancy wood blocks that kind of have like a rounded shape to it. There's a lot of people wearing green and there's a lot of people wearing red. And you notice that people wearing green seem to be avoiding or maybe in a, a small like one person to one person disagreement with somebody wearing red. There's like a big podium or whatever. Uh, there's like a big like a pillar, like a short pillar, like for putting something on, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody walks out wearing like some very nice fancy clothes. Attention everyone, it is time for the festival's proudest tradition, the revealing of the scales. Before I reveal the scales, I want to thank the people of Quin Chow Village for joining us here today for the festival and bringing their scale along with them. As always, since it is Chin Village's time to shine, I will be revealing the scale bestowed to us, the green scale. And he pulls back the curtain, and everyone gasps. And you guys are, like, kind of unsure as to why they're all gasping. And inside of this, like, glass case that he has set on this pedestal, there's a large red sort of ornate scale. Look, Everyone's gasping, and then you start to hear people throughout the crowd saying, Where's the green scale? Where is it? Someone's stolen it! Everyone remain calm. 
We are sure to find the green scale. I'm sure it was a simple misplacement. Never fear. There, there are two mayors, each from a different town, standing up on the stage. They are panicking. Uh, the one mayor seems to be like trying to calm everybody. He's waving his hands around. Guys, maybe we should get out of here before things get any crazier. Let's try to get a boat. All of a sudden, the mayor looks over towards you and he says, Them. Who are they? Quick, grab them. And a group of guards surrounds you. And uh, he says, bring them to me. So as they lead you back behind the stage, he insists that the guards search all of you. Search them for the scale. And they give you quick pat down. And he says, no scale. And and they say, no, no scale, sir. Why is the scale such a big deal? Shui Shui is the great serpent spirit that resides in the waters immediately surrounding Chin Village and spanning all the way to Quin Chow Village. She is incredibly powerful and has chosen Chin Village as her home, and to prove this, she has left us with her beautiful green scale. And then all of a sudden, the, the other mayor, the, the female mayor, comes bursting back. She wears all black. That right there is a bold-faced lie. You know as well as I do that the red scale, which is the true scale, mind you, was given to Quin Chow Village and has been deemed her home, not Chin Village. And they start to bicker back and forth. Oh, yes, my apologies. The important matter right now is to find the scale that has been stolen so the festival may go on. I feel as though I can trust you to help us find it if you would be so willing to help us. If you do, I will ensure you have free travel to Whale Tail Island. You see, the festival we are holding takes place every year, but not always in the same place. See, when Shui Shui gifted Chin Village with her beautiful green scale, apparently Quin Chao Village just so happened to produce their phony red scale at the same time. Rather than start a war over which scale was the real one, as Shui Shui's scale was supposed to represent peace, we decided to simply alternate which village would hold the festival each year with the respective village presenting their scale. I can gather up the suspects that I have some suspicions about as far as having something to do with this case, and you can talk to them one by one in my office, perhaps. Putting a lot of trust in four outsiders you've just met. I don't have much choice. And he holds out his hands to shake, and uh, you notice that he has like, like black gunk all over his hands, maybe like ink. He looks down at his hand and he sees the ink and he goes, Apologies, that must have happened earlier. Of, of the people on this list, how many people do you know have had access to this, this shard, the scale? Let's see. There was me, of course, but <laughs> hey, I obviously didn't do it. Then you have Councilwoman Lin, Councilman Young, has a key to the storage building where we keep the scales during the festival. Of course, there's Kato. He's the guard for the storage building, so of course he had access to the scale. Mm, there's also Mayor Yu. When she and her people of Quin Chao Village arrived, she and I visited the storage building to place their fake red scale in there. She was accompanied by Councilman Huan, who is her right hand on the council. So this morning when you checked on it, can you recall exactly uh, exactly what happened? Uh, yes, of, of course. So this morning, 
Councilwoman Lynn and I were running around and showing that everything for the festival was ready. When the people of Quin Chao Village arrived, I met with Mayor Yu and Councilman Huan, who joined myself and Lin to the storage facility. Kato was already there keeping guard. He used his key to let us in. Mayor Yu set her fake red scale down on a pedestal next to where we keep the true scale, which was in its case and covered over with a thin cloth, which is all part of the reveal. Then... The four of us left, and Cato locked the door behind us, and that was that. Who's to say that Mr. Squid Ink Hands over here, and I, I, point, at, I point at Wu very unapologetically, who's to say this guy didn't take it and like put it in like an ocean thing, and that's why he's got, he had a run with squid, that's why he's got black ink on his hands. Unless you can explain the ink. Oh, y- yes, I can absolutely explain that for you. See, earlier, after I met with Mayor Yu and secured the scales in the st- at the storage facility, I realized I had forgotten my scroll with the speech I had prepared for the unveiling ceremony. So I rushed back to my office, and in the process of grabbing it, I knocked over my inkwell and, and spilled ink everywhere. That's how it got all over my hands. Wait, May Yu is gone. Perhaps she has stolen it and is trying to hide it. Quick, guards, find May Yu and bring her to me promptly. I will be at the storage facility with the detectives. I think you took it. That's what he just said. Oh, well, that's a double meaning because I'm like... Ah, uh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, is this guy's name Mayor Me? No, his is Woo. He is me, and I am me. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> you did it. No, I yeah, didn't. I, I say you. Not you, you. What? Let's see if we can do this epic uh, yes, yes. all night. So he takes you guys over to a facility. It's a very basic, like, stone hut. Um, it just, it's a one floor. It's not very big. It's basically just a small storage facility. It has no windows. It just has one door and it is an iron door with a lock for like a space for a key. Um, you arrive there and you see Mayor Yu is standing there arguing with the guard that is standing there and you can hear from a distance she's saying you don't understand i must get inside because i need to check on quin chow village's scale this is when you guys arrive and of course mayor mayor Wu says the criminal does return to the scene of the crime if you must know i came here to ensure the red scale is still safe as your storage facility is obviously not as secure as you promised me. And of course they start bickering, I guess. We're just going to go in and... Uh, uh Mr. Cato, if you'd be so kind as to allow us entrance to the facility. He opens the door and you guys go inside. Uh, inside there's a number of just kind of boxes that are all, you know, nailed tight shut. Um, scattered across the room. Some of them have like big heavy blankets over them. Or, uh, Mayor Wu walks over and he points at it and he says, Yes, so as you can see atop this pedestal here is where we keep the scale in a glass case. Now the facility is really where the security measures are focused. The glass case does not feature a lock. It's more there to keep the scale from getting dirty and such. 
Anyways, a white cloth normally sits on top of the glass case, and it is removed during the ceremony. Mr. Mayor, because I did actually kind of notice something at one point. I was making my rounds around the storage facility, as I do. I was on my uh, 27th round, in fact. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I heard some weird jingling sound of some kind. Uh, but, uh, by the time I got over here, there was nothing there, but I did see something running over into the bushes, just past, over, right over there. And he kind of points off to the distance, not too far off, maybe like 20, 20, 30 feet. I don't know, like I said, I don't know what it was, but he was just somebody wearing black, it looked like. Let's take a look at this stone pedestal here. Guo wants to approach it and look for any hidden panels compartments you feel around the entire pedestal you're looking for any like obscure divots or anything uh sort of out of the ordinary and you don't seem to find anything on the pedestal but as you are checking the sort of the bottom of the pedestal where it touches the ground you do know notice a couple of footprints or rather boot prints do the shoe prints that were spotted, the heavy set ones, or they do they lead out the door? Yes. Do they lead towards that bush? So you are following these footprints, and as you follow them, you realize um, they do lead out towards the bush. Is there anything in the bush? Uh, there is nothing that seems to be in the bush except cloth inside that seems to be smudged with some sort of black substance perhaps whoever stole the scale has black residue on their hands mr now now i can see where your mind is going and the conclusions you are making but again i assure you i was not the one that stole the scale mm-hmm. that's what they all say i feel we need to see your office mr Wu. we'll meet the suspects in your yeah, call them all there. Right yeah. now. Yeah. That's an order. Okay. Uh, he turns yeah, to yeah. he turns <laughs> to Kato and he says, Kato, since the green scale is no longer here, your duty guarding this area is over. Your new order is to go and find these people. At this very moment, you are being led back by Mayor Wu to his office, and he has sent Councilwoman Lin to go out, his kind of assistant slash uh, second-in-command, to go find the key suspects that he believes could be involved in this case and bring them to his office. So, all of you shortly uh, are led to a fairly ornate kind of town center-style building um, that's a little bit taller than all the rest, a little bit more decorative than all the rest of the buildings around it, you're led inside, and shortly after taking a couple of hallways, find yourselves in a some sort of a courtroom. This is my office, or rather the council room which my office is connected to. Uh, as you guys uh, finish looking around his office and start to step outside, uh, the door flies open to this area, and in walks Councilwoman Lin. Keto and I have brought you everyone you requested, sir. Before you stands a number of people, you have Councilwoman Lin. She goes down the line and introduces each of these people to you. This right here is Lei. And you see before you a man, he's wearing very drab, kind of semi-ruined clothing. If you were to approach him, he smells very much like seawater. In one hand, he holds a fishing rod. He falls to his knees. 
and he says, Please, I beg of you, please return the great Shuei Shuei scale to us. Standing next to him is another very well-dressed man. He also stands fairly upright. Yes, apologies. My name is Councilman Young. As a councilman, the act of theft is quite beneath me. So I can't imagine any reason for me to be here at this moment. Standing next to him is a very stocky man. He wears a sort of a long cloak and skirt, and he has kind of a, uh, a leather apron over top, and he wears large leather gloves. He has some black substance kind of on his face. Looks like some kind of ash as well. He's holding a large hammer, but something that would be used more as a tool as opposed to a weapon. Yup. My name's Wei. I really sure why I've been called here to this lineup. I don't even like this whole festival. This whole thing is a bunch of baloney, if you ask me. As he speaks, he kind of motions with his hands, and you can kind of hear a number of, of things jingle on his body. As you see, he's got a number of pieces of, like, you know, metal or keys or etc. kind of just strapped to him in different places. Obviously, you have Mayor Yu not too far away from her. You see a very another very stiff-looking man uh, standing very forthright. Yes, the name's Huan. Councilman Huan, that is. Needless to say, I'm absolutely furious about the proceedings and handlings of today, and I feel as though we need to all be more concerned about the red scale, as it is real. Uh, next to him, you see a small, old, crookedy man who is shoving some pie into his face. And when he notices that you look at him, he quickly hides the pie into his cloak and he pulls out a small bag of crackers and starts munching on those instead. What are you looking at? Where even am I? Uh, finally, the last character in front of you, he is a very well-dressed, kind of plump man. Uh, he's starting to get some balding on the middle kind of of his head. Well, hello. My name is Nia. I am a traveling salesman from the village of Chin Cho. I would like to establish that I must be innocent, as the scales which are represented by both villages are my primary source of income. You are free to ask any questions that you might have or make any observations that I can maybe give some hints to. I got some questions for Mr. Wei. Yeah? I saunter up to the man. He looks up at you and he puffs out his chest. He says, What do you want from me, big boy? I was about to ask, are you a, you a blacksmith? Yeah, I make all sorts of things. Weapons, tools, doors, door locks. So uh, you don't seem too into this whole, uh, this whole festival here, sir. Nope, I don't like it. It's a bunch of hullabaloo. It's a bunch of lies to make money off of the people. I see. I see. So, uh, during all these festivities, were you was anybody coming into your shop, or is it just uh, kind of a slow day for you here today? Well, I typically use the festival day as a sort of catch-up day where I can finish up a bunch of the orders I've got on my list without getting any new orders in throughout the day. Nobody really saw you until just now. Is that is that a fair assessment, sir? I suppose that's a fair assessment. You seem to you seem to have some uh, some disdain towards the scale here, sir. Oh yeah, that scale is a big old phony. The uh, which which one's the real one? Neither of them is real. They're both fake. Do you and know to this, Mayor, you and Wu both go. <gasps> the audacity! So right. anybody else want to take a crack at this interrogation? 
Hey, uh, you, and I point over at the guy sobbing in ash. Do you know, do you have a boat? Yeah, I've got a boat. Do you know how to sail it? Yeah. How many can it fit? It can hold about four people in it. Oh, no, we just need you to take the, the, what is it called, Whale Whale Tail Island? Whale Tail Island. I will happily provide passage to and from Whale Tail Island to anyone that can return the lost scale to our village. Mare Wu. Uh, yes? I need something from you. Okay. I need you to send somebody to the kitchen and bring back a jar of cinnamon. Okay. And a glass of milk. Uh, Councilman Young rushes off to uh, to go get the things, and a couple moments later he returns. Ah, oh, thank you. And I drink the glass of milk. Oh, man, that pie made me thirsty. And then I go over to Cato. I'm like, Cato. Uh, oh, come, yeah? Come confer with me. You heard a coughing at some point? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I did. Uh, There's a little bit. That's what alerted me. And then I came running over. And you heard a jingling. Oh, yeah, lots of jingling. I go over to the first person in line to uh, Lee. <clears throat> I scoop a big thing of cinnamon. Open wide. Yeah, I stick the spoon down his throat. <laughs> I look to Kato and he coughed. I'm like, what do you think? Uh... Didn't really sound like that. That was a bit too much phlegm in that one. So we need four spoons to All just right, sort of expedite need... the cough test. Old need... man, we're going to need your first three favorite spoons. <laughs> so can we kind of just line them all up and just <laughs> at the same time just shove spoons of cinnamon into their mouth? You wanted uh, Way the blacksmith. You yeah. wanted... Councilman Young. Councilman Young. Mayor Wu. The three of you stand across from four individuals. You prepare four spoonfuls of cinnamon. Uh, you stick it into Mayor Wu's mouth and he says... <coughs> Uh, Councilman Young goes, <laughs> Way goes, oh. Alright, I'm gonna need some jumping jacks. But everybody else, get a jumping. Uh, Mayor Wu, he seems to have some keys on his person. Uh, Councilman Young also has keys on his belt, similar in number. Of course, Kato, wearing some fairly heavy armor and having some weaponry. Oh, jeez, I'm really jingling. Way, the blacksmith, he also has a copious amount of jingling. And Kato looks over at him and he goes, Man, you're jingling about as much as I am. Mayor Yu, the other mayor, uh, she also she has a, a variety of jewelry on her person, uh, so she jingles a little bit. It's a very light jingling. Um, and then Naya, the merchant, he too jingles quite a bit when he jumping jacks. And that's about it. Everybody else seems to be fairly just cloth movement. Can we just have the guards shake down all of these people simultaneously? Mm-hmm. This hurts my brain. Can I try earthbending in a way that sort of shakes everybody down at the same time? You stomp the ground and twist your foot, which causes the sand or stone underneath their feet to sort of become coarse and then quickly re-solidify, sealing their feet into the floor. And then as they start to kind of panic a little bit, you slam your other foot down, which raises a platform into the air and immediately twists in such a way that cause or you use your arms to kind of twist it in such a way so that they're all sort of upside down to some extent no scales fall out no excuse me mr brock this investigation is turning into torture you shake and you shake and you shake and they're all crying out in anger and some fear and many you know put me down a voice cries out all right all right it was me please i did it 
Just put me down. You look and you see way the blacksmith called it. That's right. I did it. I had to show the people that he wasn't real. And he reaches into a hidden pouch inside of his apron. And he swings his arm down. And he throws the scale at the ground with all the force he can muster. As the, sh the uh, scale hits the ground, fragments start to break off and shatter in every direction as it starts to almost disintegrate upon touching the hard floor. And everybody's just frozen, stunned. Oh, we found your scale. You're welcome. <clears throat> See you later. And Mary Yu finally speaks up and she says, I knew it. Their scale was fake. No scale from a spirit beast would possibly shatter in such a way. It's obviously a glass replica. I knew it. Mm. Oh, yeah. That scale is a big old phony. Neither of them is real. Well, then I guess we'll just have to test that. So they're headed to the ball. So the people from Chin Village are like, let's go see the scale. Let's go destroy the scale. You guys are following as this mob sort of makes its way to the facility. You just see this group of angry people walk out of the facility carrying the, the glass casing that has the red scale inside of it. And they seem to be starting to make their way towards the town square. And eventually they make it to the town square. And Mayor Wu is, stands up in front of him and he says, People of Chin and Qingqiao Village alike. I'd like to garnish your attention for the moment. We've decided as a group that we are going to test the reality of the red scale once and for all. And he just chucks it straight at the ground. <laughs> and Mayor Yu screams out, No! As it falls and shatters onto the ground. And everyone goes, <gasps> And now we know that both the scales were fake. And these two, And he points at both the mayors, Are the perpetrators of the whole thing. They've been lying to you good folks all this time. So now I ask all of you, what are we going to do about it? You see, you see the two mayors are, are whispering to each other at the moment. And they step forward and they say, Ah, uh, congratulations. Yes, you solved the mystery of the fake scales. <laughs> yes, that's it. Uh, we've had this contest going for years, unbeknownst to all of you. Be sure enough, these strangers, and of course Wei, uh, was also involved in solving the mystery. Well done to all of you. You've won the contest. Yes, and next year we're going to do it all again. But we'll switch it up, make it a new mystery. That way it keeps things fresh every year. But what about Shuei Shuei? Ah, uh, yes. Well, Shui Shui will always be there watching over us, whether or not we have her scales. Oh, okay. Hooray, Shui Shui! And you watch as the festivities kind of start to go back to normal a little bit. Well, that was a bit awkward, to say the least. I suppose thanks are in order. Well done in solving the mystery. I'm sure we can get someone to get you over to Whaletail Island right away. Lay! Would you mind taking these wonderful folks to Whale Tail Island? Oh, yes, of course. Thank you very much. All right. Um, and eventually, you know, you push your way through that crowd and you find yourself at uh, the docks. And with that, you guys take off into the waters towards the island in the distance that you know is Whale Tail Island. As you guys are approaching, the waves kind of hitting against your, your boat as you guys make your way towards this island and it gets larger and larger as it comes closer and closer to you, 
you can see in the distance, kind of off on the left coast of this island, uh, there seems to be a flagpole that outcrops from a, a sailing vessel. Uh, you're a little bit more towards the right section of this island's coast. So you're not going to like collide with this this pirate ship or, or land where the pirates may be set up, but you do assume that there are pirates that are actively on this island. After a few moments, you eventually do near the sandy beaches of Whale Tail Island, or at least the sandy beaches where you're landing. It's got a very piratey cove kind of a feel to it, right? And looking at your map, you're able to see where it is that you have landed on the map and where you need to go next. So Bill, I guess, starts leading the way. Stuff looks familiar. Um, a little bit. I mean, obviously it's a bit more overgrown. You're in a bit of a different area than where you remember. And you look at the map and some of the like maybe rock formations or some of the details on the map, you're like, oh, I think that's where we originally landed at. Is the X near like the coast? No. Uh, it's actually kind of like north of the middle of the island. And from what it looks like, the X is there in the forest. So what I'm suggesting we do is just walk around the outside of the coast so we don't have to go through the middle, run into any pirates. We don't need to mess with pirates, you know? Even though I was a great pirate, they probably remember me for how great I was. Pirates. Wait, you were a pirate? Yeah. Well, for like a day or two, yeah. Huh. Sweet. Yeah, and my name is definitely Bill Dorr, so don't question that again. So <laughs> The more the you more... say that, the less I believe you. Okay, like, fine. You want to know my real name? Okay, it's Ash, okay? My real name's Ash. Thank you. I prefer Bill. Following the map, you eventually find yourself in uh, near a cave. You enter into the inside of the cave and discover a large chamber with a massive hole in the center of the ceiling where sunlight enters through at the top. The cave is large and has giant gem-like stalagmites, which refract the light that comes in through the top of this cave uh, across the entire cavern. Although it's incredibly beautiful to add to this beauty, there are plants that have sprung up thanks to this light, the sunlight that's able to get inside of this cave all throughout the cave, crawling up the sides of the rocky walls, as well as filling the entire floor with various foliage um, that seems to almost be organized in a really interesting way. And what are all these bushes here? Um, Let's take a closer look. As you kind of lean down towards it, so you recognize a lot of these plants that are in here uh, as stuff that Mr. Okaran used in his in the Blissful Brew tea shop. I think we just start sniffing till we find some mint. Oh, yeah, guys. Yeah, let's just follow our nose. Guo, you and Bill both managed to sniff your way over to the mint. And sure enough, as you approach it, you can see a small corner of what looks like a wooden box seems to be peeking out from the mint leaves. Uh, you open it up, and inside you find a small stone tablet that seems to feature a map-like drawing on it. But when you look at the edges of this tablet, you feel as though maybe it's been broken and there might be more pieces to it. Additionally, you find a small letter on the back of this letter. It says to Bill. And then there's another letter that's folded similarly with a stamp on it. Uh, and this one says to Guau. And that's everything that's in the box. Bill's reading it oh. himself sentimentally first. Right, right. And oh. then he's going to read it to everyone. Well, I'm salty. I only got a box for apparently my fox Maybe dog there's is sitting. Some, there's I don't know. Yeah, where's your fox dog been? There's something hidden in there. He follows me around everywhere. You ever figure out his name? Poe. 
Guao has his own letter. Uh, oh, did, you, did you want me to read it? Yeah. Guao, you're up next, my friend. When we first met, you were still working for the carnival. I know that we all have things in life we look back on and despise or wish never happened to us. But always remember that those experiences are there to strengthen us. And the fact that we push on shows that we are stronger than the things that try to hold us back. Never let anyone or anything hold you back, Guo. The coming quest of this hunt will rely heavily on you, my boy. But don't think that doesn't mean you won't need your friends. I have three instructions for you. One, look down to the bottom for your next destination. Two, read between the lines and seek out an old friend of mine. And three, remember the tune. You'll need it again soon. Pull some strings to hear the music ring. There are a series of letters kind of randomly throughout your letter that are written in a red ink. M-A-Y-U-Y-I-N-Y and U. Bill clears his voice to read the letter and... Well done, Bill. I knew you'd remember our first encounter. I'm a man who never forgets his teas. In this box, you will find a piece of the map that, when placed alongside the rest of the pieces, will allow you to find the will that I have left behind. Also, once you do find the will, and I know you will, and take the tea shop for yourselves, remember this cave. I encourage you to make good use of it, and always remember two things. Treat nature with nurture and kindness, and it will show you thanks. And always make sure to invest in the long term rather than make single use of your efforts. Mika, you are holding the box that was given to you because people thought that was the only thing that was left from Mr. Okaron. You notice uh, a small sort of like extrusion at the bottom of the box uh, that causes your fox dog to get uncomfortable and unable to sit in the box because it's kind of poking it a little bit. So it climbs out and you see that there's a small metal um, sort of insignia at the bottom of it. The small metal thing in the box seems to be one of those like made in whatever and it reads made in Yudao, which is a small city that you know of that's in the earth kingdom uh the second thing that you notice as you're bringing it over here is you can feel something on the side of the box that seems to kind of protrude ever so slightly and there's sort of a like a pull string almost obviously pull it. okay <laughs> you pull it and you hear a small melody It does ring familiar to something you remember hearing back in the day and even playing on occasion back in the day when you were in the circus. Kind of a, a common circus tune. It's the ticket sales theme. How long were you in a carnival for? All my life. Basically, my parents sold me to this carnival, so I just had to do whatever they told me. Guys, looks like we're going to you now. We're on Whale Tail Island. That's at the very bottom of the map. Yudao's in the Earth Kingdom, you said? Yes. I think we're supposed to meet somebody there. Mayu Yinyu. Do you uh -oh. hear a voice from behind you at the entrance of the cave? <laughs> a bunch of kids just chilling in a cave on my island. And as you turn around, you see a large group of pirates all blocking the entrance to the cave staring at you. 
Should have kept moving and not trauma dumped. This wouldn't have happened. <laughs> they have captured you and they are taking you back to their ship. They take you aboard and they tie you up, just kind of binding your hands and your legs and then kind of letting you sit down on the ship. Uh, the captain starts to pace back and forth in front of you. And he says, you kids, you thought you could hide your secret about the treasure from us, but uh, what you didn't realize was that Calcone, and he points at one of the crewmates, he's a very well-dressed, he has like frilly clothes on, you almost could wonder uh, out of game that he probably belonged to Prince's like band. Uh, yes, Calcone was in Chin Village and he noticed your whole escapade and overheard some conversations about a secret hidden treasure you guys are headed towards. Well, we believe it's possible we're supposed to go to Yudao. Load up! Get ready to sail! We are headed to Yudao! Once you guys are on the water, he looks around, he says, Alright, first of all, for the business of what kind of benders are you? You gotta know that before we get any further. It's important, but if you give me an answer I like, I'll untie ya. Untie the lot. If they're just a bunch of earthbenders and non-benders, they're not going to cause us any trouble out here on the sea. That does mean we can put them to work. All right, break. Go, get to work. Hey. What? What's your name? My name is Captain Rockfoot. I'll tell you the story. Once, not too long ago, I used to be known as Captain Luckyfoot. But then, we were attacked by a creature straight from the depths of hell. We call it Kuma. It's a gator shark. Leapt onto our boat, bit off my lucky leg, and jumped right back into the water to feast on it. All right, so with that, uh, you eventually finish your meal. You bring it upstairs, and uh, the entire crew kind of collects around this big old pot of food that you guys have prepared. Um, and everybody kind of starts to spoon out bowls of this delicious stew. And you guys all are called over. The captain seems to allow you guys to eat with the crew. Uh, the captain occasionally will shout like, well, we're already on our way, so what's the point in stopping now? And then he'll say, I don't think that there is much of a treasure for us to find at the end of all this. They seem pretty questionable. Um, all of a sudden, you hear a, another character, somebody that you haven't met yet. He's a bit younger. Uh, you might have at least seen him, but you haven't like talked to him or whatever the case. Um, he shouts out, Captain! Captain! I see it! It's here! And the captain immediately just freezes. And he turns his head and he says, You see what, Zazu? And he says, It's the beast! All of a sudden, it leaps from the, the waves and you see this massive, hulking gator shark fly through the air over the hull of the ship and back into the water on the other side. And the captain shouts out, It's him! It's Kuma! Everybody... To your stations. Kill that gator shark. Uh, you four, let's call you, uh, interns. <laughs> uh, I don't know, find a place on the ship where you can help. All things considered, helping the crew in this moment is probably with your best interest. Because the last thing you want to do is end up in the water with that thing. Can I grab some harpoons and then go down to the cannons? So you grab uh, you grab two harpoons. They're fairly heavy. So you grab one in each hand and you kind of take off running down to the to the ship's uh, core. Whoa. Grabs his mop. 
uh, and then looks down <laughs> at it and tosses it aside. Yeah, okay. And goes and grabs a bow and arrow. Bill Dor, yeah, what, what are you doing? Harpoon. Are you grabbing yourself a harpoon getting ready? Because it's like a bow staff with a pointy end. All right, Mika. I am going to run to the front of the ship. Okay. And just stand there for a moment. Brock, you're running down to the cannons with the harpoons. What I mean, what are you doing? Can I load the harpoons into the cannon? Oh, in yeah. That's the worst that could happen, <laughs> right? So downstairs you run into a young guy up front. His name is Zazu, based on the context clues you receive from the captain shouting back at him. Uh, he's a younger man. Uh, he's wearing uh, like a Fire Nation headband on his head. His hair is kind of spiked up. He's got black powder like all over his face and hands and his clothes are pretty like dirty he's like oh hey how's it going are uh, you helping me with the cannons yeah i'm down here to help with the cannons uh all right so cannons are loaded they're ready to go we just gotta get this thing you know just right we gotta we gotta make sure that we hit him okay <laughs> so you load up the you know there's a cannon already in there but you just jam one of those harpoons <laughs> into the cannon hoping for the best harpoon that you jammed in he is also impaired as he now has a harpoon jammed into his side. Um, the cannonball fires out and slams into the water, causing a massive sort of explosion. And it causes the gator shark to go flying into the air um, for Guao and, well, actually all the other three of you, you can see this happen. You see this giant gator shark fly up into the air. You are going to be doing your bow and arrow. So your, your arrow flies out with key accuracy, slams into the shoulder of the beast, which goes um, very angry. Bill, you are also advanced in, or yeah, advanced in attacking. You see Guao successfully shoot an arrow at this, this beast flying through the air, and you feel like you should be equally, if not more, capable than Guao to hit this beast. Oh, and so you yeah. focus for a moment, and you curl that out, sort of to prove to yourself and to prove to everybody else that you are capable. This harpoon flies through the air, slamming into the beast, hitting him um, in sort of the ribs area. Mika, what are you up to over at the front of the boat? Well, I'm invading and observing. Who's around me, I guess? Currently around you, um, you see an earthbending woman. She is holding a harpoon. She's kind of probably in like her late 40s. Um, she's wearing sort of the green garb that a lot of earthbenders seem to to wear. I will help the lady. What do you say to to this woman as she's getting ready to hurl this harpoon towards this creature? You're so awesome. And she looks over at you and she says, well, thank you. And she turns back to what she's doing her hand. And you can see like a little smirk in her face. And she pulls back far back and hurls this thing towards the, the creature, which is swimming towards the boat at this point. He's already landed back into the water. And you see it go into the uh, the giant fin that comes out of the water. With that, uh, you've kind of created or gone an entire round with uh, this creature who now swims underneath the boat. And you can feel the entire ship move as it does so. He is going to... Um, simply dive under the water. You don't see him. And when he comes back up, it looks like he has ripped out all the arrows and the harpoons that were stuck inside of him. Could I do a defensive maneuver of putting down a defensive net? Net is an option. We need, need more firepower. Time to pull out all the sacks. All right, well, everyone's pretty dang distracted right now, so nobody's stopping you from running to the captain's quarters and bursting through the unlocked doors. You look around the room. You see a number of different things. There's a wardrobe, 
There's a bed, obviously, um, which of course some you think maybe some things could be stored under the bed. You're not sure. And then there is a like chest, like a large, almost treasure chest esque looking chest. Uh, whoa! Opens the wardrobe and picks out a funny hat to wear. <laughs> uh, I pick the one with the biggest, floppiest feather. And then I open the chest. Actually, you do see a sack of of something. It's kind of heavy. It feels like maybe there's like some kind of sand or something inside of there. But you grab that that sack of earth and you rush on out of there. It's like a like medium sized sack full of dirt and rock and gravel and so on. This is mostly small rock, but I mean, with earthbending abilities, you, know, you have a lot of leeway with that. And I run back towards the battle. A sack and a hat. And the captain's going to be pissed. All right, so everybody else was doing advance and attack. I'm going to make loud yelling noises. And he's going to get real scared. So I'm assuming you're throwing the net first? No. Okay. No. Before you scare it away? My order is the opposite. Um, <laughs> loud noises that scare him into my net. He is now unable. You you make some loud noises, and having been trapped, he's freaking out. He's panicking. In that case, I will fire the cannon. So you do so. Uh, ball again shoots out of this cannon, slams into the water, knocking it up in the air, preceded by a harpoon that goes flying and jams itself into the netted creature. Uh, everybody else watches as this netted monster comes flying out of the water, flailing about, trying to claw its way out of this net. Mika. Hey, dude, give me your bow. Okay. Please. Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, like, why don't you go, like, sit in the back of the boat or something? As you're readying this bow, the woman next to you, you feel a reassuring hand on your shoulder. She says, you got this, lass. Fire away. And your arrow flies straight into the netted mess that is this gator shark. Um, sinking into its form, it untangles itself, causing even more uh, exhaustion on itself. And then it quickly turns and starts swimming intensely towards the boat. And he slams into the side of the ship, causing a massive hole to open up inside the hole. Everybody begins to panic as they're thrown about on the ship um, in every which way. The, the captain has the wheel. He's trying to steer it sort of maneuvering around, but also staying within range of the shark, um, the gator shark, and yeah, try to keep it so that people can fire at it and do whatnot. Brock, go ahead. Where's this guy right Okay, now? yeah, so he slammed into the boat and then now he's swimming away. It looks like he might be gearing up to do another one. So I grab the harpoon and leap off the boat. Everybody freezes. You it's fall a... through the air and land right on the nape. Yep, so I, I'm on there. So what's the deal with this grappling harpoon? It's like a harpoon oh, gun it's... with a rope attached to it. And it is at the back end of the boat. So I go up to the guy who's on it and I say, You're taking too long. Let a guy with a fancy hat take over. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to shoot it at the beast. Okay. Well, Mika, you were going to also do advanced attack, right? I was going to use my water bending skills, squeezing like a python. As you like stretch out your hands to try to control the water, it's just too strong of a current for you to be able to like kind of control this much water. Um, you find it difficult to sort of get a hold on it, which works out in your favor in the sense that 
this lady doesn't seem to know what you're doing. She's actually a little bit confused because she doesn't see any water really like getting moved around in an unnatural way. She's not going to suspect that you are a waterbender. So uh, once again, the gator shark is going to swim towards the boat and slam into it. Everybody is shaking again. Brock is having a time of his life right now. He is. Brock Lee standing on top of the very beast that you all are trying to, uh, to destroy. Well, first I will strike. The way I want to strike is I will take the two harpoons. I will Excalibur them into his neck and then kind of like jump on them to make sure that they're like, they're really in there. They're really deep in there. All right. You're snapping off the the tips of the harpoons inside of the the monster. So it can't like just rip the harpoon out. Moving on to Guo. You have the grappling spear gun. I don't want to hit Brock. Let's see. I aim for the tail. But sure enough, Guo's aim is true. It slices right into the tail, piercing straight through and sort of like grabbing on the other side because like harpoons kind of have that like protrusion. Um, So it is like sufficiently grabbed. You can see the rope that leads all the way back over to the ship. Um, You have essentially lassoed this this beast, Guo. Yeah, Guo's going to try to start reeling her. Okay. bad boy. Bill, you got a harpoon in hand. You hurl that harpoon towards the beast. It flies true. Mika, you've got your bow and arrow in hand. Mm-hmm. Or your yeah. bow in hand with the arrow at the ready. Firing it in. You could fire two arrows if you want. I would, I'd be down um, with that. Obviously, two okay. of them at the same time. So you take a second arrow and uh, your earthbending friend is standing next to you and she says, Oh, you're, you're pretty confident, I see. And you fire both arrows, both of them flying towards the gator shark. Brock, you quickly dodge, um, diving behind the uh, fin that sticks out of the water, both of them right where you were standing moments ago. It comes down to the gator shark's turn, but as uh, you hold on, it thrashes, it thrashes in the water a couple of times, and it just pulls against the rope that's jammed into its tail, and it finally just gives up. Captain! Captain, we got him! We caught him! And uh, everybody starts to cheer, and they're excited as they see this non-moving creature. And sure enough, they pull it onto the ship. They lay it out before you. It's this massive, massive hulking creature. The captain pushes his way through the crowd, and he looks at it, and he says, Well, 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 look who got theirs. So after waking up the next morning, the ship approaches the city of Yudao and begins pulling into the docks, where they plan to leave the ship and our gang, along with a group of pirates led by the captain, who will follow them ashore and continue to seek out the alleged treasure. Of course, our heroes don't want these tagalongs, and so they decide to leap off the rear of the ship into the waters below and swim themselves the short distance to the wooden ship docks awaiting for them. All of you manage to reach the docks. You pull yourself up out of the water. Uh, There's an old fisherman looking dude, but not so much old. I don't know, maybe middle-aged, just kind of sitting there fishing. He's looking at all of you as you pull yourself up from the dock. And he just goes, oh, I ain't never seen fish like you before. Terrified, um, clutches his bucket of fish and jumps (laughs) into the water. So you guys quickly find the square, per se, the, the big bustling area. One thing that you start to notice is that there's definitely become a very heavy Fire Nation population in the area. Uh, you see Fire Nation guards, you see businessmen and businesswomen wearing Fire Nation garb, you know, the red garb with the little flame insignia on them. You know, it seems like a normal city. Everybody seems, for the most part, happy. Yeah, is there any, like, other tea shops or 
herbal yeah, ingredient yeah. shop. And then you kind of come around to the front of it, and the sign above the door reads Hot Leaf Juice Company. But whatever the case, you approach the front counter or maybe one of the servers, anything in, anyone in particular. What about an old person who's, oh, drinking, who's tea? drinking tea? Sure, sure. There's plenty of those there. Any of them playing pie show? Uh, sure, yeah. Bill, go insert yourself into their pie show conversation. You do this all the time with old timers. So I'm going to walk over to some older birth people, and uh, I'm going to examine the board as I walk up to it. Yeah, you walk <laughs> up, and, and you say, close game, and both of them pause, holding the first piece that they have to put onto the <laughs> table, and they look at you, and they're like, um, I guess it could be. How did it, is you know? what you, it is what you make it. Oh. I mean, since two seasoned pie show players like yourselves, it's going to be a close game. <laughs> my name's Gray, oh. and this is my associate, Foe. And both of them kind of motion for you to sit with them. And they're like, so you're knowledgeable about the game. Would you like to sit and watch us play? I can't stay long. Oh, We're here looking for someone. Who are you looking for? My union you. And as you say that name, the piece, like they kind of, the pieces just kind of slide out of their hands and they, they both have kind of these gaping open mouths and they quickly look around and they kind of lean in and they say, I don't know where you're from, but it is not wise to shout the name my union you when the Fire Nation is around. Why? You're asking about him, but you don't even know him? Well, I was sent to talk to him. Like, I was who? sent. Uh, his name was Okaron. And one of them is like, oh, Okaron. I think I remember Okaron. He was the traveling tea merchant, Gray. Oh, you're right, foe. He was. Oh, he was a very nice man. He played pie show with us. If you're an associate of Mr. Okaron, then there's... No reason not to help you. Uh, he's a good man, and I believe he's close friends with Mayu. He believe he mentioned something about him performing at some event he was doing or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's it's very important that you not speak that name loudly or much at all in public. He is a entertainer of sorts, but he's also a leading member of the local rescue team squadron here in Yudao. And uh, rescue from what? Look around you. Can't you tell? I see Fire Nation. They've, they've come in uh, as ambassadors. Uh, they've started to integrate into the politics. They started enacting certain rules and laws that befit their, their purposes and their ideas. And uh, they're starting to kind of push us, Earth Nation citizens, out. So what is the rescue squad doing? Well, they're trying to stop them. If you are searching for Mayu Yinyu, Mayu Yinyu will find you. Try the performance hall. Thank you, gentlemen. And Bill's going to stand up from his seat and uh, reach to give them both a handshake. They they shake your hand, and then uh, just before you know you let go of Foe's hand, he, he pulls you close. He's like, Bill, be careful. Fire Nation is always listening. So you guys head out, uh, and you kind of just start making your way down the... the dirt pathway in the distance you can see a very ornate beautiful building there are large fabric outdoor curtains that kind of hang from the various windows and such it's a very classy building there's a, a wall that kind of goes around it it's not super high maybe like uh, eight feet or so inside you can see there's some greenery that's very well kept uh it definitely feels like a very classy place we're sopping wet still probably 
Four sopping wet teenagers. Yeah, you guys approach, there's a back entrance, and it's sort of like a stage left exit kind of a thing. You know, you can, it's got sort of like a, some kind of a sign on it that says, actors only. So you guys step through this side door, and you guys find yourself on the sort of back stage. You can hear a woman is on stage at this very moment, and she seems to be singing in a very high sort of opera-esque voice. It's not a performance. It's not like a big show at the moment. It's Practice, probably somebody rehearsing. Yep. Is there anybody else backstage, or is she the only person here? Yes, actually, there is somebody else backstage. There's somebody uh, holding a clipboard, and right now they don't notice you because they are very intently going through the names. And you can it's kind of dark back here, but you can see just past them, it seems like there's a line of other people that has begun sort of behind. Other women, uh, some young, some old, all dressed in sort of uh, dressy kimonos. So this is like an audition of sorts. So Mika, you can go in that line, blend in. I'm literally soaking wet. These <laughs> ladies are in beautiful kimonos. Yeah, that's your shtick. Art. I'll just use my water bending skills. Pull the water off yourself <laughs> and get in line. All right. So as you guys are walking towards it, uh, this man turns around. Uh, he's kind of an older guy. He's got kind of a long goatee that hasn't quite started to gray yet, but the wrinkles around his eyes and his his cheekbones kind of protruding definitely suggests age and sort of frailty. As you guys walk to the back of the line, you get some some looks of disdain from the various women that are lined up. So you are auditioning? So you are in line? You guys told me to. Okay. Oh, so you actually get in line? Yes. Are you dry at this point? Yes. Okay, she dried herself. While we're walking, the rocks that Brock has, mm -hmm. could I bend them into the shape of a clipboard? Because you can get anywhere with a clipboard. So you guys find the green room, and sure enough, there are a number of snacks and drinks in here. And there is one person sitting in there. It's just a young woman. Uh, she's not dressed in a kimono. She's dressed in just kind of casual clothes. She has her hair up in a ponytail. Uh, she has big rimmed glasses on, and she also is holding a clipboard. And she kind of looks up as she sees the three of you walk in, and she goes, Oh, are, are you here for the, the job? Since I have my official clipboard, I could just be like, oh, I was just escorting these guys here. And then can I keep looking around? Uh, you could do that. Absolutely. On that. Yes. Yeah. So she believes that you are somebody important. She says, uh, she says, uh, oh, oh, have you, have you always worked here? Oh. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of new around here, but they put me on here and these guys came and found me and said they were looking around for you. So I just came and dropped them off. I just started working in the uh, in the acquisitions department where we're looking for those uh, all those new actors and such. So, oh, well then you and I will probably be working quite closely together. Yeah, it appears that way, yeah. I'll see you around. I'll see you around too. And, and she just kind of blushes. And she just watches as you as you lead off. And then she just kind of looks at her clipboard. Who's in charge? Oh, oh, in charge. Well, it's a little bit up in the air right now. Uh, previously, it was uh, an individual, you may have heard of him. His name was Mayu Yinyu, uh, but he is since, uh, um, how do I say this? Uh, gone into some activities. The theater doesn't necessarily want to directly support, but he's no longer involved. Brock, are you just like waiting outside? I think I've just kind of been wandering around looking for Mayu Yinyu. There's dust around what looks like a perfect shape of a picture frame in certain spots. And then of course the wall behind where this picture frame would have sat is like completely clean. So yeah, just to uh, imply <laughs> that there, the artwork has been, has since been removed. Probably of my... Can I go back 
into that interview room. You step inside and uh, you actually, she's standing right there by the door. She was kind of like walking out just as you walked in and you both bump into each other. Her glasses fall off onto the ground. <laughs> Can I like reach down and grab it with her? Like the rom-coms? Like both your hands, hands yeah, touch each other as, as you both reach for her glasses. So what happened to Mr. Yinyu? Last oh. I checked, he was, I mean, he was one who sent me out. He, uh, he announced that he, during a performance, he, he sang a piece that alluded to the idea that he was involved in, in a sort of rebel organization here in the city. And apparently there were some leading individuals from the Fire Nation here, uh, and they kind of picked up on his subtle message, and, and they were not happy. Uh, he disappeared after that. He went into hiding, I guess. The Fire Nation has a, a very large prison structure that they've actually built Kind of on the outskirts of town, actually. Oh, what's your name? Uh, my name's Sanuma. Sanuma, okay. I'm Brock. Nice to meet you. Meanwhile, all this is happening. Um, Mika, you are, it's finally your turn. I kind of stumble out on the stage and then strut to the middle. You see a a very (laughs) rotund uh, man and woman both sitting out there. Uh, They both look at you intently and the woman says, Well, go on. What will you be performing for us today? Um, I'm going to do an interpretive dance. Oh. Yeah, and I just kind of look at them like, are you going to play something, you know? like, do do you have anything specific? Literally anything. I'm just going to move my body like different watery ways, you know? Oh, okay. Very water tribe. You're starting to get out of breath, but you're committing to this dance and it is interpretive. (laughs) <laughs> they are absolutely flabbergasted as they watch as you do these wave motions to the point where you seem like you are water. And they see these, you know, the clothing that you're wearing, it's not the fancy kimonos that the other girls were wearing. It's something that really suggests water tribe. And so they're seeing this pairing of the attire mixed with the cultural, you know, forms that waterbenders use. And they're astonished. It was beautiful. Um, they, they clap and they say, that, that was quite impressive. I've never seen anything like that. Where in the world did you come from? What did you learn to dance like in such a way? I'm just very in tune with the water. You absolutely are, please, yes. All of a sudden, as they're, you know, getting excited and, and everything like that, an owl cat flies into the meter and swoops down low just past the heads of this man and woman that are, you know, congratulating you. The creature s- sort of flies low and you notice a small piece of paper fall from in one of its talons. I'll grab that. You catch this piece of paper. At the moment, you know, with everybody swinging and and the craziness going on, it doesn't quite feel, you know, like the time to read it. I look pretty proud of myself and more happier than I have in the last couple of days. Did you get the job? Did I get the job? Is that even a question? Obviously, Brock, I got the job. <laughs> oh, wait, guys, I I also got to know. What's this it? weird, like, owlcat thing just came swooping in and dropped something, and I picked it up. So you open up the note, and you're surprised at the amount of writing that's on it. It's in very fine print, but it's also very well written. And it reads, So you want to speak to Mayu. Unfortunately, we, the Yu Dao faction of the Rescue Team Squadron, will need to see proof that you're not a Fire Nation spy by hitting them where it hurts in a way that no Fire Nation sympathizer would dare to do. Luckily for you, I'll give you a choice between the three. Pick one and attach it to the owl, and we'll send the details for the task. Do the task, and we'll tell you where you can talk to Mayu. 
and you see three like bold options below. One, sabotage. Two, steal. Three, break free. As you circle sabotage, you look up because you hear a noise and it's a <laughs> as the owl cat swoops down and lands on sort of just like a pole, like a part of the wall. I'll tie it. So you guys are outside the theater. As the hour of noon kind of starts to draw near, your owl cat returns with a new note. <laughs> it simply says, there's a factory in Yudao that has been repurposed to make large-scale weapons. We need you to break into the facility and hit them in several key points in order to severely disable it. Nothing a trusty clipboard can't get us into. On the back side of the note, it lists the three areas of this factory they need you to disable, right? The furnace, the assembly line, and the casters. Um, the facility itself has, uh, it's large, it's massive. It does not have a huge amount of side doors or windows. Instead, it has two men guarding the large iron front gates, uh, both dressed in Fire Nation garb. I go up and say, "I'm I'm with the uh, with OSHA, sir. I'm here to do a little just do a little check of your uh, your construction site. Make sure everything's up to code." Uh, you see him from OSHA. What the what what exactly is OSHA? I I go onto these sites and I make sure that you know the, your workers are safe in a not in a dangerous situation while they're uh, while they're making what appears to be a roof here for this uh, for this building yeah i'm gonna have to bring out my whole osha here for this. <laughs> so if you give me 10 minutes i'll be out of your hair we'll all be out of your hair in about 10 minutes here all right so we'll go up to the roof they are definitely patching up a they've removed a whole section a hole like h-o-l-e section in the roof you look inside you can see all the way down to the production floor there's people in there working um, there's a large furnace. You see metal going into this furnace, and then you see shovels that are pulling it out. It gets moved over to one of the assembly lines. It gets dumped into the various casters. The casters are what form the metal into the pieces that are then transported over to the production crew who put the pieces together into these large-scale sort of machines. I got to come here and... Uh... Check out the hole that you guys are working on. Just make sure everything's all right. And I just climb down the hole. Bro, yeah, yeah, I flaunt the power of the clipboard wherever I go. <laughs> all right, guys. Maybe we can find some uniforms. You notice sort of like a doorway. It's just one of those like swinging doors, kind of like what you'd see at like restaurants that like lead into the kitchen, kind of that sort of setup. Um, and you see a couple of people walk out of them and they are actively retying their aprons on. So you guys head back there. As you open the door, there's a couple of people eating. They kind of see you come in, and they, they kind of look at you a little bit like funny, like, who are these people? They're not wearing the aprons and stuff, but they, they don't really question you. You see another door, just uh, another swinging door. You see two sets of them. Each one has a plaque above the wall. One of them kind of shows the depiction of a man, and one shows the depiction of a woman. You open up one of these drawers, and you find some common person's clothes. That's not what you're looking for. So you continue to open more some of, the, some of the other drawers. And sure enough, eventually you find some aprons that match the ones that everybody else out there are wearing. Um, additionally, you find some very heavy gloves able to sort of resist heat to some extent just because they're such a heavy material. And you also find some uh, hats to protect your hair. You find some boots. As you guys step out from what was basically the break room, uh, you see another individual 
not wearing an apron, but rather wearing some finer clothes with a uh, hat, with the same hat, but not the same rest of the clothing. And he is also wearing a clipboard. And he says, you four. And then he sees Brock's clipboard. He goes, oh, sorry. <laughs> you three, get back to work. What are you doing? Your break's been over for, for a good five minutes now. Sorry, I was holding him up. And he comes walking over and he says, uh, let me see that. I, this that is wall. for not for your eyes, sir. This is above you. My clipboard is larger than yours. Ergo, I am more important. He's going to back down, but he's going to keep watch. Uh, he now dislikes you. You are that co-worker that he couldn't necessarily deny that you might have more power than he does, but man, he's going to find a way to shut you down. Let's go back into the break room and eat some people's lunches. Oh, oh man, yeah. that would really spark things, man. You're going to, next thing you know, you start walking like, around. like, yeah, cool, hon, great idea. That way we cause discourse. He's like, oh, yeah, discourse. <laughs> <laughs> you start walking around to the employees, and you're like, you guys ever heard of a thing called unionizing? You got these... Three underling employees standing in front of you waiting to be assigned some work. I'll tell Guo Han, uh, you go over to the assembly line and, uh, and Mika, you go over to the furnace. There you Fine. Go. Uh, Mika, you make your way over to the furnace and immediately, the, the closer you get to it, the more you're hit with the just emanating heat that comes off of it. It is a massively hot fire. Um, there's a few people that are manning this furnace area. Um, you see people that are kind of overseeing the metal that goes into it. Uh, they'll kind of make sure that it's in the bins. It's not sticking out in any way that would make it bump up against the furnaces. They're operating this massive bellows um, that's pushing air into the heat. And, of course, every time that they press down on these bellows and the air goes shooting into this furnace, you can feel you know that heat emanate even more as kind of the air pushes the heat outwards. Um, and helps to keep this fire going. Uh, obviously, you know that your goal is to sabotage this furnace. Obviously, nearby you can see the assembly lines. Um, there are the assembly lines where people are putting the things, the pieces together. There are the assembly lines where people are putting this like broken up pieces of metal onto, or like the ore for the metal, and that's what's getting transported into the furnace itself. Potentially Close. take a one of those broken pieces of metal and try and tear the fabric. And you find a long piece of protruding metal. It looks like it could have been an old spear of some kind, possibly. Mm. Um, but it's you know it's kind of bent and warped. I am going take it and hide it within like my skirt dress thing. Nobody notices around you. You do this. Um, as you are doing this, uh, somebody over on the bellows collapses. Ooh. They're just sprawled out on the floor. They're completely unconscious. Uh, one of the sort of manager people, in fact, it's the same one that was just giving Brock some crap just moments ago, comes rushing over and he points at you and he says, I need you to run bellows. He kind of follows off after the employee that passed out as he's being hauled away by like a guard. He's just kind of pulling him by his arms. Uh, you take hold of the bellows, kind of following in suit with the other person that's doing it. I'm just here to, you know, reach around and just... And poke a hole? Yeah. Sure enough, as you lift up, you stab very, like, carefully. Like, uh, I'm imagining you have the spear kind of hidden, like, by your leg. Mm -hmm. And so you kick your leg out in such a way that it kind of shoots the spear out from underneath your skirt and pokes it into it so that definitely nobody would see that you do this. Um, 
you kick so hard that the spear actually pokes all the way through this bellows and out the other side. And <laughs> as you push down, you know, the air just kind of comes out the side and it deflates really quickly. So the other person on the other side just kind of like falls really quickly to the ground and then scrambles to get up and they're like, oh no! They just have no idea what to do in this situation and they're really worried about getting in trouble. I'm gonna panic with them. Everybody's panicking at this point. They're freaking out. They're shouting it back and forth at each other. What The, the furnace is definitely down right now. Uh, let's jump to the casters. Bill, you're on the casters duty. Uh, you approach, uh, you see these large stone or various stone casters. They are just uh, inlaid with sort of a shape for a specific piece of whatever these things that they're building is. As they move on a conveyor belt, like much of the things in this uh, room, as they move by sort of the other end of the furnace, there's some containers that go into the furnace. They pull out the molten metal and then they dump it into these casters. Um, the casters come around a long ways to get to your area, um, giving the metal some time to cool. Your job, as you look around and see the other people working, is to turn this caster upside down and make sure that the metal comes out of it. Anything that happens to the casters would cause a lot of problems. But how do you break a caster? You see that over on the side, um, there are some hammers that are used. Uh, you watch as one of the employees, they're shaking the, the caster. It's not coming out. So they go over, they get a hammer. Is there a sledgehammer? Yes. Okay, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to walk over to my stand. I'm just going to kind of lean on my sledgehammer. I'm going to be like, hey, what's going on over there? Some of the people kind of like glance over at you, but they look a little like they don't want to glance at you because they're worried you might just <laughs> glare at them again. I'm not going to leave my station. That's how you get in trouble. Uh, I know the clipboard guy. He'll... Yeah, I'm going to point at Brock. <laughs> I just kind of nod back at him. Give him a thumbs up. I'm just going to look up for my clipboard and I'm just going to look at... I'm just going to point. <laughs> point at Bill. They all look at you and they say... Well, what do you want us to do? Just run over there, see what they need help with. What about the casters? I got it. <laughs> and sure enough, a, a fairly large migration of the caster department starts to head over to go see what's going on over at the bellows. All right, and then I'm going to put the, the sledgehammer on my shoulder and start walking towards the caster. <laughs> Particles flying up towards him as he's plowing through with a big old smile on his face. Whoa, you're over at the assembly line station. This is technically before all this craziness has gone on, but as you approach, you see people with a number of various tools. You take a piece, you put another piece in it, you take a bolt, and you tighten that on it, and then you set it down. And each person looks like they have kind of more of a specific. They, they grab very specific pieces that are on the assembly line. I just grab a whole tool belt. I strap <laughs> yeah, that strap on. It on. <laughs> nice. All right, so this... Assembly line, is it made out of, is it like a belt? Yeah, it's kind of just like a ro sort of a rotating belt. So um, you actually see on either side these uh, these assembly lines. There's literally a dude that has to just crank <laughs> the assembly line. That's just all he does all day is mm. just cranks the assembly line so that it's constantly moving. So I'm going to take take the crowbar and try to pry off like the side of the assembly line, like the guard that's keeping all the, the stuff on the belt. You start doing this uh, and somebody approaches you. He's holding a clipboard. Actually, you know, it is the same guy so far. There's like one manager guy that's been working here <laughs> in this area. And he says, well, what exactly are you doing? Oh, I just gotta take this fender off here to, to lube the bearings. 
Sorry about that. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to confuse or get in, into your business. Uh, yeah, you do, yeah, do what you, you know. gotta do. So Guo's gonna use the hammer now to, like, well, he's just gonna crawl underneath the this part of the assembly line. And he's gonna take the wrench and just start untightening bolts underneath there. Okay. He's gonna take, like, the bolt completely off and then just, like, Chuck it. You pop it off, and as you do, you know, things start to, like, buckle a little bit <laughs> on the assembly line, and you can hear it just to, like, a stop. This is happening just as the massive distraction over at the bellows is happening. Okay. But they've all gone to, like, investigate the bellows. Okay, so then I just take the hammer and I start whacking the crank. But you cancer. bend it horribly into, like, a warped, yeah, situation. Um, and you do this from piece or section to section until all the sections have... Sort of a different problem that's wrong with them. The four of you are, have completed your task. You've now sabotaged your pieces. Yeah, what? how are you getting well, out of here? We, uh, I mean, I got the clipboard. I'm just going to walk, walk out the front door. Walk the out the front door. There's the two guards that are just outside the door, and they say, Hey, uh, what's, uh, where are you guys going? Oh, uh... I just got some four new hires. Uh, we gotta, you know, take them on a full tour, and I gotta take them on the outside. Uh, just show them around. What? Uh, what's going on in there? I, oh, inside? I, yeah, there's like uh, shouting and stuff. Oh, uh, you know, there's uh, some of those company disputes. Some people wanted to ask for dental insurance. Could dental. you? Could you imagine if we had <laughs> dental? That's why we got these new hires because they don't know about the union. <laughs> anyway, sorry, don't mean to bother you. Uh, have a great, uh, I don't know, rest of orientation. And as you guys are making your way down the path, uh, you know, you can start hearing like escalated shouts and such from the factory as you know more and more things. You start to see uh, the actually the billowing smoke from above starts to dissipate ever so slightly, and you notice there's quite a significant less amount of that smoke. Um, and as you walk away proudly, uh, a voice emanates from behind you. And he says, <laughs> hey, that was pretty well done in there. And you turn around. Standing before you is a fancily dressed man in ridiculously colorful clothing. And he says, the name's Mayu Yinyu. It's great to meet all of you. Where are you guys from? What, uh, what made you so interested in the, uh, well, myself and the rescue team squadron? Oh, we worked for Mr. Okuron and... Uh... Oh, Mr. Okuron. Now, see, there's a guy. There's a guy. There's a guy right there. There's a guy. There's yeah. a nice guy. Good guy. Oh, what's... Is <laughs> he still running that T-shirt? You get that T-shop opened up? I'm just kidding. I know he got that T-shop opened up. I saw him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mr. Okuron. Right. Uh, he's dead. This guy has been pretty, like, you know, smiley and chuckly and... You know, real charismatic, but uh, you definitely see uh, a real sadness kind of fall across his face. How'd you know him? Oh, man, me and Okaron, man, we went way back. You know, he came to uh, to Udow, I was performing, uh, but I had a, a sore throat. Anyway, so uh, he gives me this tea, and he's like, this will, this will fix you right up. He does a pretty good impression of uh, Mr. Okaron. And uh, I drink that, and man, I mean, I don't think I ever sounded better. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Man, I'm gonna miss that guy. But he, for some reason, carefully hidden his will behind a series of riddles, puzzles. I got a will scavenger hunt. Hmm. And you 
for the next clue. Interesting. Well, that would explain the weird package I got from him a couple of weeks ago. He sent me this weird package. I opened it up, and there was a there was a kalimba in there. There was like a weird letter in there, and it mentioned something about some kids that would come asking for it. Do you have that kalimba on you? Ooh, all right. So that's where things get a little bit complicated. Hey, we're really close to that factory. Why don't you guys come with me back to the base? He leads the way and he takes a few twists and turns, uh, but he kind of keeps you guys just on the outskirts of the city. So he takes you over close to the edge of the cliffside and he pulls back some bushes and you see what looks like one of those mail chutes, kind of like what you saw in the Avatar show, right? The, the mail chutes that they use to move little slides that they can send packages all across the city on, right? Mm-hmm. And they got one of these mail chutes and they got a little cart on the on the top of it. It's a pretty wide, large cart. You could probably fit a few people in it. Um, there's like maybe three of these carts sitting up there. And he's like, all right, this is how we get to the base. Hop on in. So you're able to push yours onto uh, the track and that kind of, again, inertia kicks in and you guys start going down. It is a pretty wild ride, but as you guys kind of come around this curve, you can see that what it does is it kind of just shoots you right into the side of the cliff. There's a big opening and you just go right oh, inside. And sure enough, eventually uh, you can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And as you guys come to the end of that, it opens up into this massive cave. As you guys kind of slide into this, you can see um, small buildings actually passing by you as you kind of come in. And you see people, there are people in there. There's hundreds probably of people that are inside of this cave. And eventually your cart slows to a stop and there's kind of like a little end of the track section as it slows. Um, And as you guys reach that, there's a couple of guys, uh, earthbenders there wearing earthbender uniforms. And as you guys get out, they kind of like use some earthbending to kind of start pushing the the carts back up the mail chute. Welcome to the rescue team squadron base. I'll take you guys over to like kind of the main area. Uh, you guys can meet, you know, the other like important people like myself. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we can uh, kind of get you guys informed on, on what the plan is. There's training areas where rebel soldiers are working on their fighting styles and their bending. Uh, there's medical bays where healers are taking care of the weak and sick. Not all of them. You can look and you see that not all of them are rebel soldiers. Some of them are just kind of general citizens. There's children. There's elderly, you know. Earth Kingdom, Water Nation, etc. Just individuals just kind of seem to exist here. So as you guys uh, continue following Mayu, you come to what looks like a big kind of open concept uh, facility where there's a big circular table kind of in the middle of this, this space. And there's a number of individuals that are kind of bent over it. And as you guys enter, you see a map of what looks like, uh, it's kind of a 3D map actually, because again, earthbending, it's all little like stone miniatures. And they're all kind of analyzing it or pointing at spots and and talking to each other. And as you guys are walking in here, Brock, uh, you actually notice a familiar face here. Oh, do I? Yes, you see Sora, your friend who helped you break out of prison. And you hear a shout out. Oh my gosh, Brock Lee, what in the world are you doing here? Did you finally decide to join up with us? Right now we're in the middle of a planning session, actually. I'm glad he can make it. What's going on? And Mayu looks at him, he's like, hey, yeah, I uh, <laughs> found these kids. Uh, they kind of answered our little, like, help wanted ad. Mayu Yinyu kind of starts pointing everybody out, and he's like, well, I better <laughs> I better introduce all these guys. Uh, all right, so right over here, you got General Ming. Uh, he's kind of the lead figure, and standing before you, you see this very, like, stern, 
uh, gray bearded Earth Kingdom dressed. You know, he's got a lot of like badges on his Earth Kingdom uh, armor. Uh, then Mayu points at Sora and he says, uh, this is Colonel Sora, Bola. Uh, it sounds like Brock, you, you guys already know each other. So, I mean, that's kind of helpful. Uh, you guys see Sora, she's actually about your guys' age. Uh, but she too wears, you know, some very nice earthbending kind of military clothes. She has a couple of badges as well. They're different badges. If you look back closely, they're different badges than what the general has. Mayu continues, he points over, he says, this is uh, Major Sato. And Sato is wearing a waterbender. He is also an older man, uh, very thin, unshaven. He has these large wide brimmed glasses on and he reaches up and he adjusts them with, you know, one of his, his central fingers, like some sort of anime protagonist. He points over to the next person. He says, uh, this is Captain Lena. And you see a woman standing there and uh, she gives you all a smile and she's like, hey, it's uh, it's great to see you guys here. It's great to have uh, some more uh, people helping us out. Uh, she just seems like a bright person. The clothing oh, she has on doesn't allude that she's part it. of any particular nation. You know, it's sort of like gray colors. He continues, he says, over there we got Dr. Takahashi. He's our, he's our medic. And you see another man, he's uh, just kind of standing at attention. He's just got a nice smile, but he seems very silent and he just gives you a, a very kind nod. Next up we got uh, engineer Nakamura and technician Kim. Uh, I mentioned them both together because, and they, they kind of like put their arms around each other and they wave. It's a, it's a nice couple. They're like, uh, maybe in their in their forties, early forties, because they're they're together, they're married. Uh, so yeah, Nakamura and Kim, uh, and they're like, wow, it's you know, it's so great, it's so great to have you guys here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's always great to see you know you, you you next generation, you know, taking part in in what we do around here. And then of course, we get back to myself, Mayu and you. I'm kind of the uh, the voice. Some say the face of the rebellions. Uh, I lead a lot of like the protest stuff. Some of the more like, you know, putting up posters that say, you know, like up yours to the Fire Nation, you know, that kind of good stuff. Sora steps forward and she says, So a basic rundown of the current situation. This is actually our new permanent base that you're currently standing in. It's a lot better than our old base, which was actually above ground. And because of that fact, it didn't really work out too well. See, about a week ago, the Fire Nation actually caught onto our activities and discovered our base, so we had to flee down here. Which wasn't a huge issue, except for the fact that, in our hurry to leave the old base, we left some pretty important plans and documents behind. And if the Fire Nation gets their hands on them, we're going to be in hot water. Is that where our music box is? Mayu steps in, he's like, uh, yes, uh, that's where I left the, uh, Kalimba. Everything that comes out of his mouth, I feel like, is a lie. <laughs> Mayu Yinyu seems like a great guy to me, Mika. Well, you love everybody. She's got, she's got That's it. not true. Well, for one, the carnival owner, because he treated me like a garbage slave dog and oh, we're, made me do all sorts of nasty stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think you're not very trusting, Mika. Why would I be? The general continues. He says, yes, the, uh, the specialist isn't expected until tomorrow morning. So we have a narrow window tonight to break into the facility. The specialist is a Fire Nation guy? Yes. Do you know who it is? Yes. Our sources tell us that they've called for none other than Wang Long. We've had dealings with him quite a few times. Actually, uh, Sora, you're familiar with him. Know him. 
He was a guy Brock and I had to get through in order to escape that prison camp. You ran the prison camp, if I remember right. Well, last I heard of the guy, he was taking a bunch of weapons over to the Earth Kingdom to go destroy countrysides. So, timeline. You got this guy, Wang Long. Becomes some sort of big shot for whatever reason in the Fire Nation. Has a bunch of big mass weapons of destruction built over in the Fire Nation. Brings them across the water into the Earth Nation. Uses them to attack the village that Brock apparently lived at, turned it into a prison camp where Brock was held. We send Sora in to bust him out, and well, I guess the rest is history. That's the that's the biggest difficulty that we've been having with the uh, the rescue team squadron is, you know, he just keeps attacking these border cities, you know, these these small little cities out on the outskirts of of the Earth Nation Kingdom, and you know. They just claim that, you know, oh, we're dealing with pirates or we're doing this or stopping criminals or, you know, so-and-so is a refugee from, from the Fire Nation mainland and all this other stuff. And so, you know, higher-ups in the Earth Kingdom just don't take it seriously. So we got to move fast. Yes. Tonight. Yes. I'll go. Uh, you guys go. Mika, you hear a voice. No. As you turn around. No. And it, it simply says... And you turn around, and none other than your dad. And he sees you, and he his legs literally just like tremble, and he just falls, like he just buckles. He they can't keep him up anymore. Um, and he just holds out his hands. He's like, Mika, is that really you? I just I just fall to the ground where I'm at. He picks himself up, and he just he just runs over to you, and he, he gives you a big old hug. Mika, I. I never thought I'd see you again. I thought you were dead. I thought you were dead. You're the one who who disappeared in a giant avalanche. I woke up at the bottom of the mountain, covered in snow, and I spent days just digging through the powder in hopes that you were okay. But I don't understand. Where did you go? How how did you get here? I found some old man and he took care of me for a while. I worked at his tea shop for a while. You worked at a tea shop? But he's dead, so... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I wish I could have had the chance to thank him for taking care of you. You guys spend some time kind of sharing your stories up until this point back and forth. He says, well, uh, we were actually getting ready to head out. I wasn't sure Mia and Mika was going to come with us. I mean, you'll still be here when we get back. So uh, not to, like I said, pull her away while you guys are having such an important reunion. But, uh... He can just come with. I recruited your dad. It's going to be interesting. Mayu continues to, to lead you guys on. As you guys approach the area where this rebel base is located at, Mayu Yinyu stops and he says, Quiet, I hear something. And he looks over at Mika's dad and he gives him a nod. And using some of the very uh, capable sort of water nation trained stealth tactics, uh, Mika's dad kind of just disappears into some bushes very quietly. And he comes back and he says, I'm not sure what happened, but it seems we're too late. The specialist, Wang Long, is already here. Yes, it seems like Wang has already arrived, but it doesn't look like they fully unloaded their gear, so there's still some time to sneak in and recover the plans if we're quick about it. What can we see from here, guys? Uh, so yeah, as you guys look, you can see against the sort of darkening uh, late afternoon, early evening skies, you can see some of the lanterns have been lit throughout the facility, causing little areas to sort of pop against the darkness behind it. Um, there's 
one, two, three, four lights that shine at the front of this facility where you hide in the bushes, maybe a hundred yards or so away from, and you can kind of peek through and see the various Fire Nation soldiers bringing crates and some other things over to the front. They seem to be kind of unpacking. Um, that's where Mayu Yinyu kind of points these out. And he says that was kind of where a lot of the um, the living areas were. There's a large building in the center. On the east, entire back end is like kind of the big main area. Um, it's a courtyard surrounded by uh, sort of a three-storied building. I would like to assess the situation all right so you remember seeing the diagram or sort of like the miniature setup that they had of this base um you kind of start to like look over the base and you kind of associate like oh yeah okay i see what they had back at the rescue team squadron you know their big fancy table where they were talking about the plan you can see how the building layout looks um based on from memory you remember that on the east and west side uh, all the way to the back, close to where the command center is, but not quite there. You remember there were sort of like living quarters or something along those lines in that like three-story building that sort of surrounded this courtyard, and they had windows. Um, they mentioned that those windows were sometimes boarded up, but at the end of each building, uh, on each floor, they had sort of a transition spot where like there was a stairwell, and the stairwell was an open concept. Uh, Mayu Yinyu turns to Mika's dad and he says, Well, uh, uh, Mac Tuck, do you and I maybe we could sneak around to the east side and, and the kids can sneak around to the west side and that just increases the chances of uh, you know success. And of course, for all of us, you see a little bit of hesitation from Mac Tuck as he kind of looks over at Mika like, Oh, I don't really want to separate from her, buddy. I grab his hand. Kill squeeze before he leaves me. <laughs> he gives you a, a squeeze back and he gives you a nod and a smile and he and Mayu Yinyu run off towards the eastern side of the building to try to get around and kind of take the same route that you guys are going to go through. I will attempt to take the rocks in Brock's rock sack and bend them onto the walls so it's like rock climbing walls. So yes, you are able to make a sort of rock climbing wall. Whatever the case, you guys uh, manage to get to the top, hop in through this old uh, windowsill and in you enter into a very dark room. There's not a whole lot of light that comes through here. Um, it sort of feels like an apartment room in a sense, uh, just like an old rickety apartment room. There's a small bed in there and there's a dresser. Did he tell us what we're like looking for? Plan. Now, in hindsight, we probably should have ironed those details out before yeah. splitting up. Okay, uh, can I go to the door and open it? <laughs> Yes, absolutely you can. And as you do, light starts to come inside and you realize that they have lit lanterns along this balcony area. So you peek out and you can see the courtyard below you and you can see that on the sort of ground level, there are a couple of guards that seem to be kind of patrolling along there. What should we be on the lookout for when we go out of this door here? So you notice that there are a handful of guards that seem to have kind of spread out through this facility. They're already doing some preliminary searches. And of course, they're the ones that probably lit these lanterns that are spread out. And then you notice that on the second floor of this area, there's also somebody that seems to just kind of be making rounds. He's checking in all the little 
uh, apartment rooms that are on that floor. Um, you wonder if maybe there's one on your floor that you just don't see at the moment. Because like I said, it's a big sort of semicircle. Let's get moving, guys. We're pressed for time. Let's go. Sure enough, you can see off in the distance, there is in fact a guard on your floor. And he stands right in front of the double doors that you can tell open into that big center room, which is the command center. Guys, look out. The Wang Gang's in the building. Is there like side rooms? You find maybe three to four different rooms that all are unlocked and able to, to get into. That Is represents the bathroom. there one unlocked close by the guard? He'd be about 15 to 20 feet away from it. What What is your plan here? Well, I want to make the water to come out of like the apartment door. So this guard feels like something is amiss. You know, he has to go check it out. He is standing there. He's waiting. And then all of a sudden he feels something touch his foot. He looks down and he sees that there's water that seems to be running up and it's it's on his foot. And he thinks, oh, this is strange. And he looks over and he's kind of, he's following where the water's coming from and he sees it going into, or rather it's coming out of one of the apartment rooms. He goes to investigate it. He approaches one of the rooms. You guys are all maybe crouched into one of the open apartment rooms that Guo had discovered were, were unlocked. And you watch as he opens up the door to this room, he notices that it's locked. And so he shakes it a little bit and he goes, oh, ugh. and he's not giving up. So he decides to kick it in. So it may makes a loud crash as he does a little bit of noise but the door flings open you hear another guard shout over what's going on over there and he looks out and he shouts back no worries i'm just investigating something and the door was locked and you hear the guards shout back oh okay no worries um so he's obviously put them off of maybe noticing some noise they might think oh it's just that guy that's dealing with that room he goes into this room and he kind of just disappears into the darkness as he's investigating this mysterious water run to the main door as you guys make your way over to the door you look down over you know the balcony area and you can see mac took and mayu yinyu are on the second floor and they peek out from opposite side from you guys and they peek out from one of the apartment rooms they see you guys they give you guys kind of like a thumbs up you guys reach the main doors of this command center and you push them open and inside is very similar to what you saw back at rescue team squadron base that you were just at there's all sorts of scrolls and maps and all sorts of other things no one's in here can we jam the door so no one can walk in i mean there's definitely some furniture in here obviously there's that large table that i just mentioned bottom line all four of you get around this table set it in front of the double doors that lead into this room and they are the only doors that lead into this room where is the kalimba and where are these alleged important plans that mayu yinyu is trying Assess to find the situation yeah. you're kind of rummaging through some of these desks and drawers and such like that you actually see it just sitting there on a chair in a corner of the room where can we find land you look around and you see like a variety of various scrolls and other documents and so on and so forth it's really hard to tell which ones are plans and which ones could just be you know who knows what is there perchance in this room like one of those long like tubes that you put like papers in. I'm going to just uh, start rolling up papers and just stuffing it in them inside the tube. I got an idea. I'm gonna grab the ground and just sort of fling it up, kind of like an old like a mall has those like sliding garage door type gates. Grab the floor and 
barricade all the all the papers behind said constructive wall. I'm making sure they can't get to these papers while we try and go get someone who can maybe tell us what we're looking for. So as you bring up these walls, there's definitely a bit of a slamming noise that kind of emanates. And eventually you hear the double doors. Somebody outside the double doors tries to open them. You hear the voice say, What's going on in there? Commander, is that is that you? Yes. Who is that? I don't recognize your voice. And you just, the, the slamming against the door gets more and more violent. And then eventually there's a crash as he sort of like punches through the door. And then all of a sudden he goes, what? wait a minute. Oh, crap. His arm that he just punched through the wall or the doors with is now kind of stuck. I got this. And Bill's just going to walk up. So he punched through one of the double doors, right? And yeah. he's stuck in it. So Bill's just going to open up the other one okay. and just whack him in the back of his head. So you quickly pop the door open. He looks at you very confused. Who, who are you? And immediately he is he is knocked out. After I do that, can I like head down that hallway and turn the corner and see if I see Mayu and McTuck? They just came up the top of the stairs and they seem to be running towards you. Okay, I'm gonna wave them over. All right. While he's doing that, can I pull the guard out a door and steal his uniform? Sure, absolutely. McTuck and Mayu yeah, they run running by. around the corner, <laughs> then they look into the command center and they see the other two waiting for him in there and they're like uh, okay uh, he's got it covered got the kalimba we weren't sure where the plans were we just started grabbing everything but there was too much so brock built this wall to protect them until you got here oh yeah there's a handful of important documents i can grab real quick well uh all things considered i think we got just about everything uh almost be tempted to just burn the rest I got Fire. this. It's my lantern. So, whatever the case, once we start this, we gotta get going because they're gonna notice pretty fast when uh, a whole bunch of fire starts kicking in. As you guys run out, you hear a guard shout, Hey, what's going on over there? And it's the guy from across the way. When he's looking over at you and he's kind of pointing at you guys, he looks over at, at Brock and he says, Who are they? Stop them! I got him. Don't worry about it. I got him myself. Yeah, you you get him. You get him <laughs> real good. Oh, look, they're going that way. They're going that way. I got him. And I just run. You start to see some, some bright lights start to emanate from the command center as you know that your two adult co-workers in this mission have probably started the fire. And sure enough, as you, just before you disappear into one of the apartment rooms that you guys came from, you look back and you see Mayu Yinyu and uh, Mac Tuck sneak out of the room and start heading back over to the east side one by one each of you runs to the window and you start climbing down onto the ground floor you guys have reached the bottom you're about to decide where to go and sure enough coming from around the building you see wang long himself wang long looks over towards you he squints his eyes and he sees you brock and something in him you can see something in his eyes he recognizes you he squints in a glare of hatred and distaste. Bill, you look back as well and you have memories of this man and some of the, you know, experiences both on the boat and even before the boat that you remember him being involved with. Uh -huh. um, they all come flooding back into your mind as you start to race away around the corner of the building uh, with your friends. You guys are able to escape into the darkness and eventually meet back up with Mayu Yinyu and Maktuk as you all as a group head back towards the slide that'll take you back to the rescue team squadron. You guys arrive back at the rescue team squadron base. Short of breath, 
partially from, you know, running all this way and also from the, the big slide, exciting slide that you got to take for a second time. You're awarded with some some medals of your bravery. Oh, you all become sort of uh, honorary members of the rescue team squadron. What you're left with is you have the kalimba. The next clue that's on your list that Mr. Okoran has left you, having remembered the music box that was part of your last gift and an instruction to Guohan that there was a series of notes, sort of a little ditty, a little song that he would need to play. Hey everyone, Skylar the Game Master for Benders and Brews and the creative director over at Session Zero Heroes here. I just wanted to give you a quick outro before you head over to the next episode or call it a day. Firstly, thank you so much for listening to our show. It means so much to us to have such amazing people like yourself that enjoy the content that we produce. Without you, there really wouldn't be much point in all the work that we put into recording, editing, and sharing our TTRPG sessions with all of you. With that being said, we would love it if you would throw some love our way and drop us a review or a rating or whatever it is called wherever you're listening to the show based on whatever platform that allows you to leave reviews and leave recommendations. It means a lot to us to get to hear why you love the show we make, and it also helps the show reach other listeners as well allowing us to grow our community. So if you're feeling especially generous, you could even go as far as to share our show to your friends and family who also enjoy TTRBG actual play podcasts. It's really expensive for us to be able to advertise and we don't do much of it. So it's a lot more help to have you guys share it with people that you know will enjoy it and then they can join in the community that we're creating. That would make you a Session Zero hero yourself. And additionally, we'd love to have you stop by on one of our various social platforms and interact with the channel there. You can find Session Zero Heroes on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Discord. We post all sorts of updates, clips, and even the occasional behind-the-scenes look at what we're up to. And if you're ever looking for information on SZH or you don't use a podcast streaming site but you want to listen to our shows, you can do so by checking out our website at sessionzeroheroes.com. And while you're there, you can find out about the cast and the crew that make our show and provide the players' voices in all of our various series. And if you're feeling especially cheeky, you can check out our merch store where we have a ton of designs and products to choose from, all of which help us pay the bills and keep the lights on. So once again, thank you all so much for listening and remember to stay curious, stay heroic until we roll again.